Well, Ephesians chapter 5 is a wild and crazy chapter because up to this point, he's been talking about just the goodness of God and the blessings of God that he is putting upon us, whether we deserve it or not. And, and they're rich and they're infinite and they're great and they're by his power. And we're not worthy of it. We don't deserve it. But just out of his goodness, he's going to bless our lives anyway. And then there was the turn saying, okay, now that you've been pickled in his grace, now that you've been saturated in knowing his great love for you, how can you respond? A week ago, I was talking to a guy, Carlos, and we asked him, do you know how to have eternal life? Down at the Sylvia Pier. And he said, no, I'm a Catholic. And I've asked my priest that question many times. And I, I leave wondering. And I'm quite concerned about it because I, I don't think my life is adequate to go to heaven. And so he told him, it's just believe on Jesus. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? He came into human flesh and died and was buried and rose again. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Then trust in that. Don't trust in the Catholic Church. Don't trust in the priest. Trust in the Bible, God's word, and trust in him and what he has said. I do. Now what? Well, be a disciple. Jesus said, become a learner, a grower in him. Let him spend time with you, and more importantly, spend time with him. Well, how would I do that? Just love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, how would I love God? Well, you, you have some kids that are approaching into their 20s. He has some, a very small child, too, about two years old. And uh, I said, if you have a 25-year-old child, how would you want them to love you? Couldn't really think. And I said, Don't, isn't it just they want to be with you? If your 25-year-old called up and said, hey, Dad, what you doing Saturday morning? Can we, just me and you, go to breakfast together and just eat breakfast and you can pay for it. But you <laughs> hang out, hang out with you. What, what would you feel? As, you'd be just like, oh, my goodness, this is wonderful. What if they just came over and made you a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and sat down on the couch next to you and just started sharing what's going on in their life. Sharing what they're learning from the Bible. Sharing the, some, what's go, some of their friends are going through and what they're going through and, and just wanted you to know about their life. Is there anything else? And the guy's like, that would be so much. That would be more than enough. And I said, God is your father. Love him. Love him as you're, you would want your adult child to love you. Love him. Spend time with him. Pour out your heart to him. Pray without ceasing. Let him speak to you through the word. Give him some time. Give him a few minutes in the morning. Give him a few minutes at night. Meditate on his word throughout the day and let him speak to you. He loves you so much. Not only is he your father, but he's your shepherd. And he also, as our husband, washes us with the water of the word. Let him wash you so you're without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. And every day, even though we sin and we do sin, even when we so desperately don't want to sin, we fall short of the glory of God. 
but God just keeps cleansing and washing us through his blood to make us perfect in his sight. So in chapter 4, it started out that way. He said, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And in chapter 4.17, he said, don't walk as you used to walk, as a heathen, as those who don't know God. And then we got to chapter 5, and he said, walk in love. It's interesting that a lawyer, a Pharisee, came and said to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question we ask when we go evangelizing. It's just simply, do you know how to have eternal life? Do you know if you were to die, if you'd go to heaven, do you have eternal life? Do you know how to have eternal life? Do you have eternal life? It's that simple. You would be amazed that people are thinking about that. Why? Because Ecclesiastes says God's put eternity in our hearts. But also God's Holy Spirit's in the world, convicting men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's bringing it to mind. So the Holy Spirit's already been plowing them up and working on them for you to come and plant some seeds or water on some seeds that were previously planted. What shall I do to enter eternal life? And I love what Jesus said. And in Luke 10, 27, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love God and let the love of God be shed abroad in your heart and love everybody else exactly how God's loving you. Love others in the same way. Do, do we get it? That if it's not out of love, it's, it's really unsatisfying, especially to God. Let me give you an analogy. Imagine if my wife said to me, she never would say this, but let's just pretend. Brian, you're lazy. You'd spend way too much time in your sports and your hobbies and talking on the phone and hanging out on the computer and watching TV. And I, I don't get much help with the kids. I don't get help around the house. I, I'm been doing this for decades now, and, and I'm just telling you, if things don't change, I'm divorcing you. Well, well, what, what can I do? I, I think you should love me and tell me that at least five times a day. I think flowers at least once a week. And I think at least help with the kids an hour a day. And then on Saturdays, most of the day. And so... That's it. Wrote it down. And I start helping around the house. And I start helping with the kids. And I make sure I get five times in a day telling her I love her. And so one Saturday she has her friends over and they're having crumpets and tea. And I walk in and I have a piece of paper and, and I say, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but... I love you. And I put a little check down on my paper. And I say, I know it's Saturday, but here's your flowers. And I walk out. And her friends are like, oh, you got the best husband in the world. He loves you so much. Now, is she feeling that? Or is she feeling like, the pressure's on, and I don't want to lose my housekeeper, babysitter, cook. And so I'm 
doing what she wants and boy, I'm five times a day, I got it. Even if it's late at night, even if it's inconvenient and sort of out of the moment, I make sure I tell her five times a day I love her and she gets her stinking flowers. I hope she's happy. It's expensive. Yes, I'm helping with the kids, but see, if, if it's any kind of pressure, if there's any kind of fear, if there's any kind of law, rules, rituals in it, it, it literally means nothing. Her friends are going, oh, you got the best husband in the world. And she's like, right. He's telling me that because he doesn't want me to divorce him. He's helping with the kids because he knows what will happen if he doesn't. He's giving me flowers because I gave him an ultimatum. Do you, do you understand? It really does have to come from the person's heart. And it's really got to be out of an appreciation, a thankfulness. I'm giving you these flowers because I'm so thankful for you. I appreciate you. I love you. I'm telling you I love you because... You're so wonderful. You're gracious and kind and, and you're merciful and you, you stand by me even through some very dark times. You didn't let me go. You didn't nag me and hate me and despise me and disrespect me. You continued to respect me when I wasn't respectable and love me when I wasn't lovable and kind when you, you should have thrown an ashtray at me. But you didn't. And I love you. And I'm thinking about all of the decades now we've been married. And oh, so much I put you through. And so much you were patient and kind. Endured all things. Believed all things. Hopes all things. And through those years of difficulty, now the love has grown and is deeper. Because of the appreciation of them putting up with you through all of those things. You see, and this is love, not that we love God, but that we first understand his love for us. And then when we understand, and this is why Paul spent the first three chapters pickling us in grace, drowning us in God's love. So when he says, okay, here's how you love your dad. Here's how you love your brother. Here's how you love your wife. Here's how you are a good sheep to your shepherd. We are a dam ready to break. Walk as Jesus walked. And our hearts are full. It's not, okay, I gotta be a Christian. Gotta walk like Jesus. Gotta tithe. I hope God's happy with that money. Gotta go to church every Sunday. Man, who came up with that? It should be once a month. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I went to church. I gave my money. I read the Bible and I prayed. The checklist is there. Is that Christianity at all? That's just like all religions in the world. Duties to a God that they are afraid of that might whack them with the Big bat if they don't straighten up. That is not Christianity. Christianity is so different from all religions in the world. God is reaching out to us. 
And we are saved by grace as not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Our salvation is hinged upon God's faithful and good nature. Why am I going to heaven? Because of God's sacrificial, kind, merciful, good nature. And I believe in that. Do you believe God loves you? A lot of religions don't. God tolerates people. God is pretty upset if you didn't keep your vegetarian diet. If you didn't do your prayers five times a day, I wouldn't let that slide in too many more days. It's God. And so I'm going to go to heaven because of God's faithfulness, not my faithfulness. I'm going to heaven because of God's goodness, not my goodness. I'm going to heaven because Christ died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day, not because I lived a great sacrificial life the way I should. I I never am going to deserve it. I'm never going to attain to it. It's always by grace. It's always as a gift. If, If somebody came and gave you a gift and it's a $50 gift and they're like, yeah, I wanted you to have this gift, but I only wanted to spend 20. Can you give me 30 back? Not now, not during the party, after the birthday party. It wouldn't be a gift, right? Or if somebody said, man, I've been dating you for two years, and you know how many birthdays and anniversaries and Christmas, Christmas, I spent $565 on you I've added up, and now that we're breaking up, I'd like my money back. It would just be very weird. We wouldn't do it. Because when we gave the gift, it's done, right? It's over. It was 100% for them. I mean, you think about it. You're getting a gift for being born? What did you do to have a birthday? Shouldn't it be your mother who gets the gifts? But yet we get a gift for what? Making my mother scream and a bloody mess and pooping for the next few years and, and a diaper. But it's, it's a perfect image. You did nothing but exist. And we want to honor that. See, salvation is, I'm saved by God's faithfulness. When I am not faithful, he remains faithful. Can't deny himself. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, impossible to undo. Where my sin abounds, his grace abounds more. His love for me will endure all things, believe all things, hope all things. I'm going to go to heaven because I trust in God and his nature and his faithfulness. Now, all that we do, it's not because I'm going to get saved. God passed the baton to me and said, I did all this work for you, but now you've got to do your part to enter heaven. See, I I think that's the message most Christians are getting, and it is right from the pit of hell. God is not passing the baton saying, you've got to do your part to make this thing real and finalized. So I'm obeying to finalize my salvation. I'm, obe- I'm, I'm obeying so I don't undo the gift that God gave me. He doesn't take it back. 
can't happen because it's hinged on his nature. But when I come now to say, I'm doing what I'm doing, I can't get more righteous because he who knew no sin became sin for me that I become the righteousness of Christ. I can't become more righteous, right? We're going to heaven. Heaven can't get more heavenly (laughs) because I'm righteous. It's a gift of God. And so anything we do, it's not to add to our salvation or finalize our salvation. It's simply out of a response, I love him. That's the only thing that'll satisfy. This is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. We are now in the middle of the first page of eight pages of notes. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Have you ever had anybody blow a trumpet in your face? Blah! Or get a cymbals and come up behind you while you're relaxing in a chair? That's what it's like when you're doing things for Jesus, not out of a heart of love, but out of fear or trying to earn something or gain something that's already been given to you. In verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 13, though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I can do all these things for God. I can expand his kingdom with all these gifts he's given me, and I can work hard and, and, and preach the gospel and do all kinds of good works, but if it's not out of love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, like you're out in the mission field and the the pygmies take you and stone you to death or burn you to death, but you have not love, it profits you nothing. Do we get it? This is so important that we get this before we go on into chapter 5 because I don't want you to turn what Paul says into legalism, into condemnation, into law. So we just went through last week as we began looking at light, and we're going to look more at light today. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what's acceptable to the Lord. This is what we covered last week. I love 1 John 1, verse 5 through 7. This is the message what we've heard from him declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you realize what he's saying there? John is saying this is the message. Walk in the light because he's in the light and that's where you're going to have a fruitful life if you walk in the light. What's it saying? That not all Christians John's writing to are walking in the light. That there are believers who are going to be in heaven but they're at this moment walking in darkness. It's your choice every single day. So as we listen to this study this morning about walking in the light and some very heavy and convicting things about darkness, we do not want this verse-by-verse teaching 
to, to, to turn in to God is against me or God is against us or God is, but God is our father who loves us and there's no condemnation coming from him. We can't hear the inflections in the voice of what we're getting ready to read. But so often I think people hear the inflections in God's voice and it sounds like he's yelling at you. I told you, don't have any darkness in your life. I told you last week, I'm light and you're supposed to be in light too. Now stop this immediately. Go to your room. God's not this person. We, we learn of the nature of Jesus. He's gentle and lowly of heart. He's our shepherd that gently leads us, carrying his sheep in his bosom. He's not condemning us, but let the word of God convict us with no condemnation. God's voice is never speaking disgust or disappointment like some abusive father. He is for us. God is for us. He's never against us. So in verse 11 here today, we pick up. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose or reprove them. So have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. There's the light is righteousness and brings good fruit. The darkness brings bad fruit. Pretty simple, isn't it? The word fellowship is the word koinoneo, like koinoneo, with, but it has a, a, a prefix to it, with fellowship. The Greek word here is to say, don't have a communion, a fellowship, a partnership. Paul, we looked at last week, said, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? It's saying you can't be in the light and in the darkness at the same time. You're either in one or the other. Choose light. I think James 4, 4 says it very clearly. Adulterers, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You're at war with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Harsh words saying that, that God is against Satan. God is against Satan's works. God is against his darkness that is destroying lives. And if we're walking in that darkness that Christ came to destroy, how can you be in partnership with such things? These works of darkness, one as believers who still have the possibility of practicing sin, the worst kind of sin. We can partake in sins that Satan himself is participating in. We, we do know in Ephesians 6, 12, we'll get there on spiritual warfare. He, he calls Satan's kingdom, the rulers of darkness of this age, a host of wickedness. And yes, we could still be a part of that even as believers. Secondly, understanding darkness, we should do the opposite of walking, living, practicing in satanic sinful world, but we should be walking, living, practicing in the light with Jesus. Romans 13, 12 says it perfectly. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So here he's saying believers 
the, the darkness that you're living in, walking in, that's, that's always there. You walk out your door and it's like smothering you. You turn on the TV, it's smothering you. You go to work and you got to fight to get away from the darkness. It, it's, it's a lot of work to stay away from darkness in such a wicked culture. But you are the light of the world like a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless, harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Notice how he describes it, a crooked and a perverse generation. How true. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. So even though we're in the world, we're a light to the world. Even though we walk in the dark world, we're a light to it. Brightly, not dimly, not, not, not lighting up a city block. We're lighting up the entire city. We are walking in the midst of a crooked and perverse, dark generation. But as we walk as Jesus walked, we're blameless and harmless children of God without fault. We're shining as lights in the whole world. Number three, how we need to fight against our wretched demonic flesh and repent and run to the light. Our flesh loves the darkness, doesn't it? Our flesh is at home in the darkness. Our flesh goes, oh, when we're in darkness. Oh, this is home. This is comfortable. Like a nice warm jacuzzi sitting in darkness. Oh, my flesh is so comfortable here. Boy, that's an uphill battle, isn't it? John 3 says, though, this is the condemnation that lights come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they've been done in God. So the children of God, even though they're in darkness, even though they have darkness in their life, even though they're walking in a world of darkness, even though they're still not really away from the darkness, they, they want the light. And they like the fact that the light burns the darkness away. It kills all the mold and, and, and chokes out the darkness because of the light. You, you know, light is a something. Darkness is simply the absence of light. So if there is no light, you automatically have darkness, right? You don't go over and hit the switch and boop, I got darkness. It doesn't happen, right? Click a switch, I got darkness. You can't do that. You got to only click a switch for light. And this is what he's saying. Darkness can't be around light. So if you're being light, the darkness can't be there. They both can't exist in the same place in the same time. So rather expose them, reprove them, openly rebuke them. This is what that word is saying. Make it clear what is righteous and true and holy and pure and that which is not. And that which is not is darkness. Even if living in this world, we've been compromised where we don't see darkness anymore. It's not that dark. Oh, it's not like Jesus, but it's not that dark. Dark is dark. And I understand we, we've been desensitized by a, a, a pagan, demonic, antichrist spirit that's in the world constantly trying to rearrange our thoughts so evil's not so evil. 
Sin is not so sinful that the narrow road is wider than it used to be. (laughs) In verse 12, for this is shameful even to speak of those things which have been done by them in secret. It's shameful even to speak of them. In other words, we're not talking about practicing them. That's, That's way over the line. I'm telling you that talking about them is over the line. I love 1 Corinthians 14, 20, because he says there, in regards to evil, be infants. Like a little child, completely innocent in your thoughts. This is the way God wants us, ignorant of the world and their ways, because they're enticing. The knowledge of the world is like the worm on a hook. They do what? They say what? How do they practice what? And all of a sudden, this thing becomes something we didn't even know exists. Is something now we want to partake in. We never even knew it existed. But now that I know about it, I'm curious what that would look like, taste like, feel like, be around, see. That's our human, fleshly, sinful nature. In Ephesians 5.13, But all things that are exposed, openly, publicly rebuked, are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. So all things are going to be completely exposed by the light one day. Do we understand that? In, in Luke eight seventeen, For nothing is secret that shall not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Jesus says later in Luke 12, 2 and 3, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you've spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, who will both bring light to the hidden of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Wow. Then each one's praise will come from God. Paul is saying everything's going to come to the light. Are you aware of that? Listen to how he says it in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. I think it'll put the hair up on your neck. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, in the body or out of our body in heaven, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment, Bema seat, not the great white throne judgment, but this Bema seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror, this is that word, deep soberness, a deep reverence of heart, not a terror like you're going to be bombed. No, realizing just the soberness of that moment in time where all your words are going to be revealed. You know, one thing we know about sound, it actually never goes away. It's out there. So I don't think God is going to play back our words. I think he just takes us out in space and we actually hear our own words. I think the same thing with camera. God can just take us back in time. I don't think we're going to see a recording. I think we're going to go and actually see it happening. So imagine the principal of a high school. And now his kids are in high school. 
And the day comes where one of his kids graduates, and let's say the kid is just horrible. Got expelled several times, barely graduated, and now he's coming on the stage, and the dad's handing his diploma, giving him a hug. What's the principal thinking? Thank God he, he's out of my school. It's been a horrible four years. But on the other hand, let's say the kid just says, man, I'm going to make dad proud. He's the best student. He obeys the rules. He's a class president. He's doing everything he can. And now he's the valedictorian. And he gives the speech. And he's the first to get the diploma. And it turns around to his dad. And, and his dad proudly gives him that diploma. He, he excelled in the system that his dad created. And now he's going off to one of the best colleges. Do, do you see the difference? I think we're all going to go into the principal's office. I don't think he's going to humiliate us, probably by ourselves, and say, let's discuss your life. You go, oh, man, I live to be 100 years old. That's going to be a long conversation. No, not really. Do you know how many days 70 years is? Let me figure it out. 25,550 days. What a beautiful mind. That's it. You can't even hardly buy a car for that many dollars. 25,000 days, that's it. That's like 5,000 weekends. It's not very many. You know, Let's say you're here, and looking at some of the younger people. Let's say you have 50 years left. Maybe the calculations carry the one. 18,250 days. Now, some of you, you would have to be 130 to get that extra 50 years. But who knows? Crazier things have happened. 18,000, that's it. But let's be realistic. A lot of you guys have half of that, maybe. 9,000 days. And so we, we really realize life, even if it's long, is very short. And I don't think God's going to hold us to account for all the hours we slept, which is decades of that time. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy to realize that knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, and we all are well known to God and also trust well known in your conscience. Paul says, I'm ready for that day. I, I, I am not afraid of that day. Ecclesiastes, the smartest man that ever lived. My wife is the smartest woman, but this is the smartest man. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, the last two verses of that book. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Have a deep honor and respect for God. Keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Wow. Well, in Ephesians 5, verse 14, he says, realizing all of this, wake up. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I think this is a line and a hymn they sing. I think he's quoting one of the poetic hymns, a line in the hymn. 
He's speaking here to Christians. Wake up to spiritual things, to a spiritual reality. Be faithful as a child of God. Be diligent to store up many treasures in heaven. Spurgeon said this, sleepless, sleeplessness in Christians is exceedingly dangerous. Excuse me. Sleepiness in Christians is exceedingly dangerous because we can do a great deal Why we are asleep that make us look as if we're awake. We can speak while we're asleep. We can hear while we're asleep. We can walk while we're asleep. Sleepwalking, right? Hope that doesn't happen. Uh, we can sing while we are asleep. We can think while we're asleep. Spurgeon goes on to say, the man who is asleep does not care about what becomes of his neighbors. How could he while he is asleep? And oh, some of you Christians do not care whether their souls are saved or damned. It's enough for them if they are comfortable. If they can attend the respectable place of worship and go with others to heaven, they are indifferent about everything else. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, very sobering words, Awake to righteousness. Do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He's not talking about the sin of doing something wrong. He's talking about the sin of not doing what you're supposed to. Not the sin of commission, but the sin of omission. In this case, they're not shining as a light. They're not being the salt to the earth. And there's people next to you that have been working next to you there in the building you work at as an accountant or whatever, or a police officer or a lawyer, whatever it is, and they've been working next to you 20 years, they don't even know you're a Christian. What's that old statement that if you were arrested for being a Christian, would they be able to prosecute you? <laughs> There's a, some co-workers that would go to court for you. I've been working next to that guy for 20 years, and I can tell you he's not a Christian. There's nothing Christian about him. Let him go. And he convinces the judge, there's no Christianity in you whatsoever, and he can prove it. He's worked 8, 10 hours a day next to you for 20 years. I speak this to your shame. They don't have the knowledge of Jesus and they're in your sphere. They're in your world. How can this be? So if you realize you're asleep, if you realize you're in darkness, Christ is here as your shepherd. He's just calling to you. Hey, come on over the fence. Get over here. Be right here at my hills. I'm going to take you to the greenest grass. I'm going to take you to the best springs. Stay next to me. Come back to Christ and say, Lord, give me light. I want to be all that I'm supposed to be. Isn't that a great prayer every morning? Wake out of bed and go, God, this is the day you've made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it because this is the will of God to rejoice always in everything, give thanks. And then to say, Lord, help me to be all. Help me to say all. Help me to do all that your predestined plan has for me. Let me walk in it. And then when you put your head on the pillow at night, Lord, I pray that I said everything I was supposed to say. Smiled at everybody I was supposed to smile at. Hugged every person I was supposed to hug. Touched every person I was supposed to touch. Listened to every person I was supposed to listen to. But I also want to know that I did the work of an evangelist. 
There was only a few seconds, maybe a total of 30 seconds, but I was bold and shared the verse that you gave me that morning. As I read that verse out of the psalm or out of the epistles, and you spoke to my heart going, Brian, this is the verse I have for you today to meditate on. I shared it. I said to the guy at the gas station as I'm pumping the gas, you know what I read this morning? What's he going to say? I guarantee you he's going to say what? And then you share the verse. You know that's from the Bible. And God gave that verse to me today. And as I'm meditating on it, this is what God is saying to me. Do you know Jesus that way? Let us awaken and let God give us light. Lord, give us light. John 12, 36. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. I love that verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 48. And you, brethren, are not in darkness so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are of the sons of light, sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. And let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet of the hope of salvation. You know, many read this passage saying that believers aren't counted worthy to be raptured. And they go through the tribulation period. He goes on to say that No, God's not appointed us to wrath. And the seven-year tribulation is known as the season of God's wrath. But he's saying here that this, you guys should be so awake. You see the signs of the time. You know the Lord's timing is is coming as near and, and you're thinking about it. Some people try to fault Chuck Smith for believing the Lord was going to come back in his lifetime. He really believed it. He was wrong. But how fruitful was Chuck for believing that? He lived every day as if the Lord was coming back very, very soon. And it made him very fruitful. In verse 15, we're almost done. Hang in there with me. Ephesians 5.15 See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly, um, it, it, it means carefully, wisely. We and free are free will agents. We can make any choice that's in existence. We can make incredibly wicked choices. I remember when I was a youth pastor, they, they, I'd get magazines. And one of the things that they charted that most teenage kids who had premarital sex did it Sunday nights after church. That sounds like Satan, doesn't it? But I I just want us to understand that our free will doesn't check out. Our free will doesn't get overwhelmed by things that we can't make any bad choices. We can literally make a choice in light all day long, go to the orphanage for a whole week and serve the kids and talk about Jesus and worship the Lord and help the orphans. And two seconds after we get back, we just do the worst sin we've ever done. 
Is that possible? It's absolutely possible. And, and you're going, how can I? It was, was that whole week just a big phony week? Was that whole week I was just a, being a, a big, fat hypocrite? This is who I really am? This dark person two seconds after I get back from being in an orphanage all week? Is that? No. It's just the reality of the power of choice that we have. Now, I, I wish God just took that away. I, I do. When he circumcised our heart, I just wish he circumcised our free will. No, I don't want you to be a robot. I want to be a robot. I want to be a Jesus robot. Program me. <laughs> yeah. Nope. God says, nope. You, you, you have to be circumspect, exacting, accurate, diligent, careful to realize it's not because you're a big hypocrite or you're an extra weak person. You're just human. And humans have the power of choice. So what have we learned again in Ephesians 4.1? I therefore the prison of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. In Ephesians 5.2, walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice of God, a sweet smelling aroma. Jesus kept making the choice, what's sacrificial? What would serve others? Let me see everybody more important than myself. Let me put everybody's interest before my own interest. Those are the choices Jesus made. How can, I, how can I love the unlovable? How can I love the unlovely? How can I serve the poorest? How can I touch the lepers? How can I encourage the prostitutes? Here's Mary Magdalene, had seven demons in her. Lord, I want to touch the darkness and bring your light. I want to overwhelm the powers of darkness bringing, tearing down the demonic strongholds in my world, wherever I'm walking, wherever I'm at, lead me, Father. Give me divine appointments in this day. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Live as light to the world. Live as if every moment of your life is being done and open in the sunlight, maybe even being broadcast for the whole world to see. You guys remember that Truman movie? I never talk about TV shows or movies. In, in, in the pulpit, that is. Um, but remember that? The, the guy, the day he was born, they were videotaping his life, and his whole life was a TV show for the rest of the world to watch. Everybody knew it but him. And then he comes to find out that they're all over the bathrooms and watching him in the shower in his bedroom. He had no, no privacy. They were all... You know what? It's not too far from the truth for all of us. So not to walk as fools, but as wise. You know, the book of Proverbs is a whole book pointing out. Here's fool. Here's wise. Here's the fool. Here's the wise. Here's a wise guy being very foolish. And we can all be that way if you don't calculate things correctly. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming is to buy out, to buy out of slavery, to buy it up. In this case, the time, it's not moments and seconds. In the Greek, there's two words for time. One is like moments and hours, but the other one is seasons, epics, opportunities. Galatians 6.10 translate this word, the same word as opportunity instead of the word time. 
redeeming the opportunities. The NIV translates it that way. Making the most of every opportunity. Redeeming the most of every opportunity that you have. Paul isn't telling us to make the most of every moment, even though that's not a bad idea. He's telling us to seize opportunities for the glory of Jesus. It isn't to make the most of all. Isn't it for us to make the most of all opportunities? The idea behind redeeming the time is that you buy up opportunities. Like a shrewd businessman, you make the most of every opportunity for Jesus. Because the days are evil. Jesus said those who live in the last days are going to be living in an exceptionally unique evil time. Doctrines of demons are going to deceive people. They're going to target believers. These doctrines of demons are going to target believers to abstain from marriage, to only eat certain foods and cause their faith to stray. Also in Matthew 24, 11, 12, and many false prophets will rise up and deceive many and because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Isn't that really what we see? I mean, I, when I see people just getting punched, like that big, big old guy who just got out of prison, he's probably 6'5", muscler, and, and he sees this 80-year-old woman and just punches her and starts kicking her and punching her. I, I'm just like, I'm an evil guy. I, I just, I have no idea about that kind of anger. I have no idea that kind of disrespect. It, it doesn't compute in my brain. Love is growing cold. But yet in my own heart, is the love growing cold for God? Is the love growing cold for others? Do I really don't care if people go to hell because I'm going to heaven? That's all that really matters? I hope that's not the case. But Paul defines our world that God might deliver us from this present evil age. Life is short, be wise. David, by the Holy Spirit, had a prayer for this thing. So teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Well, verse 17, and we finish here. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, this time, the word wise, it's different. It's without reason. People are living by their emotions. They're living by the seat of their pants. They don't have a calculated process to live wisely. We got to calculate it, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. How can I do that each day? How can I seek first the kingdom of heaven? How can I honor the Lord? How can I pray without ceasing? How can I meditate in the word day and night? How can I serve and see everybody's better than myself? See everybody's interests more important than my own interests? How can I touch people and love them and hug them and, and, and speak to them and help them and serve them? I, I'm living in a way that says my time is running out. You know, you go to a graveyard, you see that. The day they were born, a little tiny slash, and then the day they died. That little slash is their entire life. Naked we came in this world and what? Naked we go out. We can't take it with us. And that little tiny dash 
You know what it feels like to people when they're 100 years old and they're dying? Their life is a dash. I don't feel like I lived 100 years. I mean, ask you, it's yourself. I'll be 61 here in a few days. I, I don't feel like I lived 61 years. I feel like I've lived a second. Life is just, it's gone and I can't believe it. It's like I blinked and, and life is over. So let's not be unwise. Let's understand. Let's get all the pieces of the puzzle and put them together now wisely. Let's connect the dots. Time is short. I'm not going to have a bunch of days. A matter of fact, there's some of you here, even though it's not a large congregation, I'm just telling you by facts that some of you don't have 365 days left on this earth. Some of you have 100 days left. And if you were told you got six months to live, usually that means you got two months to live. <laughs> Doctors like to give you hope. If you have 60 days left, how are you going to live? You definitely don't start watching the fall series on television, right? You're not going to get through the end of it. What, how are you going to live differently? This is what he says. Understand what the will. This word, uh, thelma, is, is the word choice, desire. It, it's not God's sovereign declaration. It's the opposite. It's God desires this. And because we're a free-willed agent, God can't say, I declare this, do this, da-da-da-da-da-da. He can't do that. He's given us 100% free choice. God even though he's king of kings, lord of lords, all power is given unto him, he has to say, if I could make you do this, this is what I would make you do. But I'm, I'm just telling you, this is what you should do. This is my best plan for you. This is my best will for you. This is best for you. So understand God's will. What does he say in Ephesians 2.10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we, what? should, might, walk in. I predestined a perfect plan for you. I predestined every day to be fruitful. I predestined every day for you to be a light and a salt. I predestined every day divine appointments, people for you to love and smile and serve and share and be a light and touch and heal. But you have to be in the spirit. You have to be in the light to see it, to hear it, to connect the dots. This is what he's saying. Don't be unwise. Don't be a person not connecting the dots, but be understanding a guy who connects the dots and can see God's hand even in the slightest of things, the gentle breeze, right? You can Sense God's spirit in the gentle breeze. The power of choice, it's powerful, and it's in your hands. Our time is but a vapor. We need to make the most of it now. There's no later. Lord, thank you for your word today, and we ask that you would take these exhortations. We know that you're giving to us out of love, out of gentleness, out of kindness, but yet conviction. Because we're in sinful flesh, we have to be able to put boundaries on our flesh. We have to be able to beat our body into subjection out of love, out of love for you, out of love for our fellow man. It, it just breaks my heart when I go down to Seal Beach and I see people in darkness 
And then I start talking about you and they're, tell me, tell me. And I'm just like, oh, I want to do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. These poor, poor people in darkness been wanting to know if there is light and where the light is and how to get to that light. And all I got to do is just be a traffic cop and go out there and point them to you. And they run. Lord, help us. We know that man's heart is hard and wicked and unbelieving. But yet we know your spirit's at work convicting men of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. We know you're a great and powerful God knocking on the door of their hearts. Help us, Lord, as ambassadors of Christ. Grab a hold, seize the day, seize these opportunities, seize this next hour, this next four hours, this next 24 hours, this next week. And to come back to church next Sunday, having had several divine appointments, people we've smiled, people we've touched, people we've loved. We've been a light in the midst of the dark world. We haven't been engulfing ourselves in the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, the pride of life, but quite the opposite. We've just given ourselves over for this vapor of time until we die or till you come again, that we've been all, said all, done all, that you have predestined for us to walk in. In Jesus' name.